Hi everyone, thank you for joining. Today I have Louise Sorensen from Peace Boat and we will be talking about all the great projects that Peace Boat does from Japan and around the world. So please stay tuned, we will be right back. Hi, thanks for joining today. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you wanna learn more about the work that I do, check out inboundambassador.com and you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com slash jjwalsh to get some bonus information and insights from the series. Hi everyone, thanks for joining. This is Seeking S Sustainability Live number 199. Wow. Thank you so much for joining, Louise. Thank you for having me, Joy. <laughs> it's wonderful to talk to you because in the series so far, we have talked to people who have done Peace Boat volunteering or internships, and then they've gone on to other things, being entrepreneurs or different careers. So it's so nice to talk to you and learn more about Peace Boat and all the projects that you guys do. So thank you so much for joining today. Well, thank you. And thank you to the people that came before. <laughs> Yeah. It's so nice. It must be so nice for you guys working at Peace Boat to see what happens to people as they move on afterwards, right? Definitely. I mean, I think as you, as you said yourself, it's, it's really a, a stepping stone for, for a lot of people and both, uh, you know, passengers, volunteers or Peace Boat staff members. And for a lot of people, this is really a way or a stepping stone towards, you know, more um, yeah, to, to exciting new challenges as well. That's great. And I was reading on the website that there's about 100 staff and many of the staff actually were volunteers or participants themselves. Is that right? That's right. Um, uh, I don't think there is a rule, but this is often what happens that people maybe set out just wanting to volunteer for a, for a period of time. And, you know, you, you sort of fall in love with the Peace Boat family and then you, you stay on board. No pun intended. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and and that was your story as well, right? You actually started as a participant. Yes. So I actually started as a sort of a paying participant. I was an international passenger on our 81st voyage. Um, and back then I was actually the only non-Japanese passenger. There were other non-Japanese uh, people, but they were all either volunteers or staff members or crew members of the ship. So I was the only one, the only, you know, paying customer on the ship that was not from Japan. It's very exciting. Yeah, a bit nerve-wracking, but also exciting. <laughs> and then you were teaching, and then now you're more in a coordination role, is that right? That's right, yeah. So for a couple of voyages, I was a volunteer English teacher, and now I work as an international coordinator, coordinating primarily our international guest educators on the ship. So not the English teachers, but the guest educators that we bring on the ship to, to give lectures or to run workshops before we, we, um, we visit uh, the different ports of call. Let's uh, step back a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Peace Boat? Sure. So yeah, actually, um, Peace Boat started back in the, in the 80s, in 1983, where uh, a group of University, university students from uh, Waseda University 
um, got together. Um, I think this is quite interesting because PeaceBud really is a Japanese NGO. A lot of people think it might be a non-Japanese NGO, and even people in Japan don't necessarily know that this is a Japanese NGO, but it really started here in Japan. And, um, well, initially it was um, these students came together because they um, the, the history textbooks in Japan were being revised, and the role of Japan, especially in the Second World War and leading up to the Second World War, was going to be downplayed in these new um, revisions. And uh, these university students, they decided they wanted to visit the countries that, um, you know, had been subject to Japanese imperialism leading up to the war. And they wanted to talk to, to people that had experienced this um, firsthand. And um, they, they chartered a ship and in a way they set out thinking it would be just a one-off and they visited different places. But um, when they came back, they realized that there was still a lot of interest and more people wanted to, to do this. So they set up a second voyage and yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> It's really interesting and that's really connected to what I was watching in the videos or learning about more recent programs either even um, it's really about peace building but also building empathy and understanding with people in other cultures and other countries and I heard this um, from participants as well who've been in the series that even for them as international people or people who grew up in Japan and traveled before, even for them, they really felt a new connection and a new understanding to people around the world and the issues that they were facing. And we'll talk about it later, the connection to SDGs or people from yeah. island nations. These are yeah. some of the more uh, like exciting recent projects I think that you're, mm -hmm. you're trying to do. So that empathy and connection and networking is yeah. is one of the key reasons to keep peace boat going all these years is that right definitely i mean i think it's actually it's quite beautiful in a way that that how it all it all started with you know these personal meetings and the personal testimonies from people and looking at what peace boat does now it's still at the core you know it's about hearing from people themselves it's um, as you said it's building this empathy by hearing these personal testimonies may it be you know atomic bomb survivors hibakusha or um, um, you know people from from other parts of the world facing other challenges uh, environmental social political so um, I, I think that it's wonderful that you know we are we are developing all the time but there is something that remains that core and that is that personal meeting and the, the sharing of testimonies, the exchange, which is really important. I'm showing the core principles right here from the website. So seeing yep. things with your own eyes, peace yes. building through dialogue and personal testimonies, partnership and collaboration, for example, mm -hmm. with onboard guests, educators and partners in ports of call, but also with passengers and volunteers of a voyage as well as non-voyage initiatives. So mm -hmm. a bit later, we'll talk about conferences, for example, that you've, yeah. you've been a part of, which participants yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Yes, I think um, so from that list, of course, it's the whole the, the testimonial, the, the sharing. And maybe in the beginning, it was very much going somewhere and, and just listening. Um, and I think listening is still very much a key, a key word. But maybe from listening, we have developed more towards exchange, where it's actually in that 
mutual exchange that we, we also find the empathy and we, we build peace um, together. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah. of course, during coronavirus is, is kind of a difficult transition. Um, yeah. What has the Peace Boat organization been able to continue during this kind of stay-at-home time? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, obviously, as an as an NGO that does not really receive funding uh, apart from uh, when we conduct voyages, suddenly for about a year, not being able to, or more than a year actually, not being able to conduct voyages was is pretty <laughs> is pretty critical. But at the same time, um, it's been really it's been super inspiring to see how everyone just came together as an as an NGO and both within PeaceBot but also with our partners, how we managed to somehow bring a lot of the really good stuff from the voyages, we managed to bring that online. Um, we conducted two global voyages online where we checked in with people around the world, partners around the world. Um, we are conducting online, I think you might talk about it or ask about it, but um, these online Hibakusha testimonies where atomic bomb survivors share their testimonies um, online. Um, and actually, yeah, in some ways through these online projects, I, I found that we, we sometimes reach people that we would not otherwise reach just through a regular voyage. Or we are able to connect partners that you can that we meet when we go to that particular country or to that particular region. But actually, now we are connecting those partners with people right here in Japan uh, or in other Asian countries. So, I mean, somehow it was a it was a very challenging situation, but it also forced us to be innovative and creative. And uh, some in some ways, I feel like we have connected people even even better um, through some of our online projects. That said, I don't think we should we we can disregard the importance of also meeting in person and, um, you know, not just meeting through Zoom and, and discussing serious topics, but also just hang out and uh, have dinner together. And these more casual meet, those are very, very important too. But it's been it's been quite in inspiring to see all the new initiatives that have, have started. Logistically, how long would one of the tours or one of the the voyages. The voyages. How how yeah. how long would they last? Um, a full global voyage is around three months. Um, but then in between these global voyages, we also have shorter voyages, which can be from a week, for example, around New Year's. We can have a New Year's voyage that is maybe a week or Golden Week, um, this special holiday week in here in Japan. But um, or maybe slightly longer, like a, a month. We've had a sort of an Asian voyage, voyage that lasted about a month. But a full global voyage is about three months. Yeah. And I'm, it doesn't I'm showing, feel like it though. Showing, <laughs> showing pictures, of course, every, every picture of a voyage, you have so much interaction. You have people doing presentations on stage and then you have volunteer activities or... Yeah. You going to farms, but everything is is tight groups, people together. So of course, this is not mm. possible during coronavirus, and this is not really possible to transition to online only, like you said. So let's hope the vaccine can get out and things can go back 
a little bit start again um do you have a plan like for the next stage like maybe less passengers or more social distancing are you guys planning for this yes i mean actually we've been planning for this for for the past year ever since the, the pandemic started this has been sort of the main topic of conversation i would say how can we conduct voyages you know in, in a safe way um and uh, we've actually chartered a new ship because of this pacific world which is a much larger ship but we are not planning on as long as there is still a risk we are not going to you know fill the ship to full capacity we're gonna um you know enable more space between people um, and of course we're also gonna make sure that everyone everyone gets tested and so on before we before we even set sail but um but i mean yes it is definitely something that we take very very seriously uh, we have to, um, not just on the ship, but we are also visiting ports of call where we have a responsibility to, um, you know, to, to, um, to, to take care and to be careful. Yeah. Now, it looks like you have so many key collaborators. Um, mm. Can you talk about some of the networks that you work within United Nations for one? Yes. Yes. So, um, so PeaceBot is a, is a, is a campaigner for the for the SDGs, the social uh, yeah, the sustainable development goals, and um, we work quite closely with the SDGs uh, action campaign. We participate when when they have their annual you know uh, global festival of action for the SDGs. We have given presentations there and uh, run workshops there as well. Um, so the SDGs is really. It's a yeah. It's a it's a key word in in our programs as well. We we keep that in mind. Yeah. The interesting project called Against the Tide, uh, mm -hmm. talking with uh, people from island nations. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. We have it's one. We have uh, several youth programs within Peacebuild, and um, one is called Youth for the SDGs. And which is mostly coordinated by our partner organization in the U.S., Peaceboat U.S. And then we have a program called Ocean and the Ocean and Climate Youth Ambassador Program, where, as you said, we bring originally it was youth from small island nations. They joined the ship and discussed different issues related to, to climate change and, and ocean uh, conservation. Nowadays, we've, we've sort of expanded the program a little, and, and now it's, it's a little bit broader. It's youth from areas affected by climate change. So you don't have to be from a small island state, but um, a lot of the youth are, of course, still from small island states because they are, you know, the, some of the most affected areas of, of climate change. Mm -hmm. It looked really powerful. And uh, yes. connecting these young people from island nations to yes. people in Western countries around the world and yes. them sharing fun activities and getting to know each other mm -hmm. and hearing about their reality. That's a really yes. powerful part of the program, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And also, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the people selected for these programs, they already do amazing things back home. So there's so much to learn from. Obviously, we also hope that they will learn something coming on the ship and visiting. They join them exposure programs in, in ports of call so they also learn new things that they can bring home but they already do really amazing things for their local communities and you know it's such an honor to be able to to hear from them and learn from them on the ship and 
you know, yeah, or or in in with our partners in Portugal. So it's really a win-win. I would say really a win-win program. You know, having these yeah nice. young ambassadors come on board. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great. And then on board, uh, you have lessons. Um, you mm. have different uh, talks from different people. Can you talk a little bit about on board kind of educational activities? Sure, sure. So, yeah, it's it's very interesting, this this program on board. I think if people saw, you know, a, a schedule of just one day, people would think it was the schedule for like a week or a month or something. There's so much there's so much happening at the same time. So we have multiple venues. It's, I guess it's kind of like um, if anyone here in Japan knows Fuji Rock Festival, where there are multiple stages and concerts happening at the same time. This is Peace Boat, very much so. Um, You've, you have uh, lectures from, from guest educators. Maybe you have workshops. Um, but there are also more social activities. There is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of physical activity, dancing, exercising. So bringing people together through uh, music and dance and, and sports, that's really important as well. It's not just, you know, to exercise. It's also really a way to bring people together, especially because we also have people on the ship that don't speak the same language. So being able to do something that does not necessarily involve speaking the same language, I think, um, yeah, is really, really crucial. Um, and then there's another thing that is that I, one of the things, one of my favorite things about the, the onboard program, this is something we call the, we call them self-organized events. And these events are actually events organized by passengers. And whereas Peace Boat, we, we, Decide main lectures and main events. Uh, a, a huge part of the program is actually up to the participants, and this is a way sort of to give the passengers and participants ownership of the program as well. If you are interested in climate change, well, you can conduct a discussion session about climate change. If you want to show your travel photos, you can do that as well. Any topic, pretty much, um, is all right, and yeah, it can be large, it can be small. And this is also a, a good example of sort of this exchange where it's not just, we are not just spoon feeding, you know, education. No, we have a mutual responsibility and in, there's this mutual exchange. So I really love the self-organized events that, that participants uh, can organize. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think that's so important. And, yes. uh, to just today, I was listening to, I, I'm a big follower of the podcast Pod Save America. And yes. they, were, they were talking about ignorance versus evil. That ignorance oh. is uh, something easy to fix because you can educate. You can yes. get people exposure to mm. what they're ignorant about. But yes. evil, there's nothing you can do, right? Mm -hmm. But I, you know, when you see the pictures of Peace Boat, you hear the stories from Peace Boat, you hear about people sitting next to a Muslim for the first time, yes. meeting someone well beyond their scope that they would never have even thought about meeting in their yes. life. Yes. And their eyes and their experience really opening up as well as their hearts and meeting yes them personally as opposed to just hearing about their stories or seeing okay. about them online um yeah. this is this is really powerful and this is the reason to continue doing the peace boat kind of philosophy mm. i imagine yeah. is that right 
definitely. Oh yes, I, I, definitely. And and again, as I said, um, you know, when I when I first met Peace Boat, it was still very much um, a, a Japanese. Uh, you know, project. I mean, there were lots of guest educators and partners from, from different parts of the world, but PeaceBot was still trying to find a model where we could bring more non-Japanese passengers on the ship. And, you know, this has really happened over these past, these past 10 years. And it's, it's, it's really amazing to see the, the change. We, we have a lot of participants from, from Asian countries. And, you know, again, back to where it all started. It started as a peace building project in this region, in the Northeast Asian region. And, well, we are back to that, right? We are bringing people together and hopefully, um, you know, building or creating friendship um, and this empathy that you also mentioned that is so, so important. So there's not only education, but also kind of activism. Um, Some of the events I see on the beaches, for example, Mm. cleaning up the beaches, analyzing the type of waste you might you might find um also anti-nuclear demonstrations in different areas one of your collaborators is ICANN right yes yep yes that's right I think you know because we we are we are so privileged we are we are visiting so many different countries in in a span of, of three months this is really a chance to to bring a campaign from country to country and from place to place so uh we've had for example, uh, many atomic bomb uh, survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki sail with us and give their testimonies in, you know, different ports of call, meeting not just locals, but meeting with politicians, uh, talking to yeah, policymakers and, you know, really advocating for, um, you know, the eradication of, of nuclear weapons. So, um, yeah, being able to transport people that way on the ship and then uh, conduct different forms of events in, in protocol is, is really yeah, is, is unique. You know, we don't have to fly anywhere. We are all, we're bringing all the materials. We're bringing all the people. Yes. Um, now, of course, this kind of training, this experience mm-hmm. as training, this experience as foundation for what they'll do next is, is yes. amazingly important mm-hmm. and amazingly yes. sustainable. Is there any kind of other um, aspect that happens because of the interaction, because of the learning? Like, for example, is there a journal that some, a lot of the students who join the program, would they be adding this to their thesis? Is there other kind of, like, actionable, uh, close reaction to their experience? Do you know what I mean? Like um, books written yeah. or journal mm-hmm. entries or part of their university study mm-hmm. or something? I know that some people use their their experience. Actually, I I use my <laughs> my experience on board as sort of the base for my for my master thesis in the peace and conflict studies, where I wrote about peace education and uh, I use peace boat as a as a case study. So yes, that does happen. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's more as I said, this stepping stone. People um, get inspired, you know, after. Uh, joining the voyage or after working for Peaceboat for a period of time, some people have the finally have the courage to start that NGO that they've always been dreaming of starting or that they never knew they wanted to start, but then they, they realize, hey, actually, you know, I could do more. I, I want to do this. So I think in that sense, it, it really, I, a lot of the, the people I joined the 81st voyage with, they, some of the younger people, 
Peace Boat was sort of the first time like, away from home and the first time leaving Japan. And some of them chose Peace Boat because they thought it felt safer. And then they realized, oh, wow, this is so inspiring. I want to I wanna do more. And a lot of people afterwards volunteered, for example, through JICA or, um, you know, or even started NGOs. So I, I think somehow it builds, you know, it builds your confidence and you realize that there's so much you can, you can do, um, event coordination or, you know, um, yeah, other projects as well. So I think it's really a confidence booster. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about if you know, what is the difference between a NGO, non-government organization mm-hmm. and an NPO, a nonprofit organization? Like how yeah. how di- how is it different? Is an NGO also nonprofit, or is it a little bit different? That's a that's actually a good question. To be honest, I'm probably not the the right expert to answer this uh, question. But definitely, as an NGO, you know, you are not supported in any way by the government. You don't receive any funding from from the government. Um, I guess you could you could choose to be. I don't know if, if you if you can be. Uh, a non-NPO and also be an NGO, to be honest, I'm not sure. But um, in our case, yeah, it, it is non-profit in the sense that Peace Boat, we, you know, we, we, um, yeah, as I said, our only income is are the voyages. So that's, we are NGO in that sense. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether one will, it's possible to be one or the other and not the other. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry to put you on the spot. I just no, I no. often hear NGO or NPO, yeah. but I'm not yeah. actually that clear on what the difference is. To be honest, is. I've also heard NPO more like non-political organization. So that's another sort of use, I guess, of NPO where, you know, you're not, you do not um, belong to any sort of uh, party or political party in that sense. So I've used it. I've heard it used in that sense too, NPO and NGO. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes yeah. sense because how it was founded by students who mm. wanted to learn the truth that the government was not telling them, yes. then, of course, they wanted to start a non-government organization that was kind of a third party, right? Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, probably for a lot of, for most NGOs, this is the, the real reason, but I think this is very important. I mean, we um, we have to, you know, to be able to, to hear the different voices, not only um, the people we agree with, but also, you know, the people we disagree with and then try to reach that mutual understanding. So if you had to, um, if you had to follow a certain government or, if, yeah, it, it wouldn't really, it wouldn't really work. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's very important to be both um, politically, but also governmentally sort of independent, definitely. Yeah. There is a fundraiser, it looks like a crowdfunding happening for mm-hmm. Tohoku right now. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, Peace Boat also has a, a disaster relief uh, unit, a Peace Boat Disaster Relief. And at the moment, because it's the the 10 year anniversary of uh, the yeah the tsunami and the earthquake in Tohoku, uh, PBV is, is running a, a crowdfunding campaign for that. Um, of course, um, PBV has been supporting uh, Tohoku over these past 10 years. Um, actually, Peacewood uh, Disaster Relief started sort of as a as a reaction to this uh, to this disaster. Um, but to be able to continue, we are yeah running a crowdfunding campaign for that as well. Yes. As as we are kind of uh, 
not celebrating but commemorating the 10 years since mm. the disaster um yeah. what do you know what activities peace boat did in 2011 right after the disaster yes so actually through um peace boat disaster relief we we sent volunteers and uh, so personnel but also of course the uh, material um, goods we sent support that way to help clean up and to help uh, the, in the shelters and so on so Peacebot has actually been very active up there since the very beginning, especially sending sending volunteers and, and Peacebot staff. Yes. Yeah, I heard that the Peacebot. I believe you had one actually, one of our uh, Robin Lewis, who used mm -hmm. to work for Peacebot Disaster Relief. I think he was in your in your program as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. We we've, yeah. we've had a chance to talk to Robin two times. Yeah. Yes. Great. And he's yeah. he's done a lot of work in the Tohoku area, but also um, starting that amazing My Mizu campaign. Yes, yes. Right. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's now that that we can go back to because I I'd love to know. Um, of course, as traveling by cruise ship might yes. not be the most sustainable mm. <laughs> choice of travel. But okay. of course, when you're trying to get to Island Nations, when you're trying to get to Tohoku, it's perfect. There is yes. no better way to travel. Um, right. But in terms of waste and use of water and energy, it's not yes. the most ideal way to travel. Um, can you talk a little bit about why Peace Boat thinks the, the boat is still a really important mode right. of transport? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very important question. Um, it's, you know, I think in, in, in many ways, you know, traveling is really not that sustainable. We should, we should probably all just stay home. <laughs> but, um, but in fact, um, as we talked about before, you know, bringing people together in, in one space like the ship, um, is really, really unique. And, and, and the ship somehow, it, it's, I like to, to describe it as a sort of a, it's a home where it's no one's home court, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a really, it's a, a neutral, uh, space. It's a safe space where it's not like, yeah, my country, my town. So I have a little bit more right, um, on the ship. Technically, everyone is sort of visiting, but at the same time, we are on the ship for so long that the ship also becomes home. So this is really unique. We are, yeah, I think people are um, more equal on the ship than they would be in any other sort of part of the part of the world. And I think that's very important. And um, and again, being able to to spend so much time together, you know, being on a ship is wonderful, but it's also challenging. You know, it's uh, you can't just leave. You know, you are stuck on this ship until you at least until you reach port. So it really forces you to uh, to handle whatever issues you might have, and, and, and you know, it's um, it's tough sometimes. I know, but at the same time, it, this is really also where all that all the conflict resolution and the peace building happens is also in the fact that you can't just, oh, I don't want to talk to you. I'm, I'm just, I'm out of here. I'm just going to leave. No, I mean, you're stuck with this person. So you might as well continue the dialogue and find that, you know, mutual ground that you deep down want to, want to find. So in that sense, I think the ship will always be a very special place for, for this, uh, for the peace building project. That's that's a really good point, right? It's like the United Nations. It's no it, when you're in the water, it's no one country. 
Um, yes. It's neutral territory. Yes. So yep. I, I've heard this from UNITAR, which is based in Hiroshima, right opposite the A-bomb dome, the yes. atomic bomb dome relic. After the bomb, right. it's, it's left standing to remind us what happened in yes. 1945. And their offices look out onto the A-bomb dome. Yes. And they say that is a really powerful way to get mm. warring nations representatives to talk and mm. to do conflict negotiation and to talk yeah. about how we might work out our differences because we don't want that to happen. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And um, I think like being on the boat as well, you're in neutral territory. Maybe it's easier to talk about mm. differences. Um, yes. You can also talk about the ocean, which is such a huge uh, climate change issue, plastic pollution issue. It's all about the ocean, island nations. Yes. It's about yeah. the ocean. And this is something we all share, no matter yes. what country we're from, yes. right? And the thing is, I mean, uh, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, the, the, the ship is a prison because it really isn't. I mean, of course, you are sort of stuck on the ship. But at the same time, as you said, you have the ocean and... I'm one of those people like I absolutely love being on the ocean. I love the ocean. I love sailing. And yeah, when things are tough and you go and you look over this vast ocean, you don't see land. It's um, it's really soothing. So I think that also does a lot of good for people. You know, you get that grounding, even though you're you're on water. Um, so and of course, seeing this beautiful, beautiful ocean every day. It, it also reminds you that we, we have to take care of it and we need to protect it and that it's, it's very, very special. And, um, and then I, I one, one more thing, I think, um, I think it's, it's often said, but uh, I remember one, one guest educator that actually said this in a lecture and it made such a big impression on me. You know, he described how normally we've seen the ocean as something that we had to, to conquer or we had to cross to get somewhere. But, you know, when you're on a ship, the whole ocean becomes your your road. It 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 becomes the thing that connects people, and I think that just realizing that is you know just generates an even greater sense of appreciation for the ocean. Because yeah, as you said, there are some places that you you can't really access any other way. You have to sail, maybe in a small boat or a large boat, but you still have to sail. And um, yeah, in that sense. Sailing your ship or a boat is really, really um, special. I think Mm. also something that very few of us who live in cities are ever Mm. able to experience is the night sky. The, yeah. <laughs> the beautiful stars yeah. and then yeah. I think it was Nina Cataldo who was a interpreter on one of your trips and she talks about seeing the northern lights and yes. how amazing it was yeah. right so yeah. these phenomenons and then for me whenever I see somewhere where you can see the stars really well mm. and don't you feel small oh yeah and don't you yeah. feel like I'm I'm planet Earth team, you know, like I'm not American or I'm not Japanese. I'm a member of planet Earth and we're all in this together, (laughs) you know, and seeing the stars and thinking about space. That's that's really important, too. Right. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) I mean, obviously, with a big ship, we we, um, there is a there's a, a lot of light sometimes, but you can still really enjoy the beautiful sky. And some of the most magical nights are when we are actually get permission to to turn off most of those lights and 
we we get to see the black starry sky without sort of any lights on apart from the most important ones so that we don't get hit by other ships but uh, that is impressive it's uh, it's really indescribable yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. We we have a comment from Mary who's yeah. who's joined and she said um, the crowdfunding campaign Louise mentioned for sustaining disaster relief efforts even amidst the COVID pandemic is here so she's given the link I'll oh, add the link below as well yeah. thank you so thank much you Mary much. thanks Mary yeah great now speaking of the ship there are mm-hmm. exciting plans for a more sustainable more environmentally mm. friendly ship, which yes. I'm very excited about. Can you tell us a little bit about the Echo ship? Sure. I mean, it's still, you know, very much a project in the a project in the making. It's being developed. But uh, yes, this is, as we talked about, we, we need to acknowledge that, of course, the, the cruise industry uh, traditionally is, is maybe not the the most sustainable of, of industries. So, I think we have a responsibility to to conduct our voyages in as sustainable a way as possible. And um, this Echo ship um, is a really new, exciting project where we are we are pl- basically planning to build the world's most sustainable uh, cruise ship, um, where we can cut CO two emissions and reuse water and, and use sails when uh, whenever possible and. So there are a lot of really interesting, um, innovative uh, ideas being put into this this new ship. Yeah, that's wonderful. It, it's so yeah. exciting to see um, the solar panels that yes. are on the ship. The yes. idea of reutilizing wastewater or yep. having a a closed cycle for water. Yes. There's so many cutting edge sustainability ideas and and i'm sure it's really hard to decide on a plan because these kinds of ideas are always developing so it must be like you have a plan and then suddenly something new something new and cool and exciting comes along exactly (laughs) you want to include that too definitely (laughs) i mean i'm not i'm not one of the people working specifically on this project so obviously i i don't know all the i know i don't know all the details but I'm sure that's one of the challenges, you know, like when do you say, okay, enough is enough or okay, this is now we made a decision. It must be very tough. Um, I know one of the things, again, I don't know if it's going to be a part of sort of the final project, but one idea was, for example, to have, you know, to be able to generate elect- electricity when you walk on the stairs or, you know, people walking on the stairs. Would, yeah. So you could, uh, you know, power the, the lights or something and, all these, yeah, as you said, there's so many cool things out there. It's, uh, I can't wait to see what it's going to be like. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. Very yeah. exciting. And it's, yeah. it says it can uh, have up to 2,000 passengers. And that, yes. that's pretty normal for your existing ships, right? It looks like you can have between 1,000 and 2,400 passengers at a time. Is that right? So with, with the Pacific World, this uh, new ship that we chartered, yes we can have up to that. I think um, with the previous ship we had, we would typically sail with maybe 800 to, to 1,000 people, I think. Again, please don't um, yeah, don't get too caught up in the exact numbers, but yeah, something around that. So um, it's definitely, it's a, it's, it's a bit larger than what we've done before, um, but still, yes, it's around the same. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think even though the plans have been put off a little bit because of coronavirus, um, I'm really hoping that this goes ahead. And I think even just talking about it seriously, planning yeah. for it, raising money for it, this yeah. helps push the industry in the yeah. right direction for yeah. cruise ships. And if other cruise ship companies see that this is actually yeah. happening, yeah. that's going to be a huge selling point that this is more sustainable. Oh, yeah. maybe we should do that, right? So it, it kind of exactly. moves the whole industry in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's that's the dream, right? It's, uh, you know, we, yeah, if we can, as you said, if we can sort of inspire others to, to follow suit, that would be, that would be amazing. Definitely. I think we, we have to, you know, if we want to, um, all, as you said, all types of traveling, all types of tourism, um, or most types of tourism, but all types of traveling, you know, in some ways is, 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 uh, not great for the environment. So I think we really have a responsibility to do it in the most sustainably possible way. I know it's so hard, right? For um, yes. industries or organizations like yours, the mm. focus is on people. And yes. I often come across this, right? Uh, mm. If the focus is on people, social sustainability, yes. quite often the environmental side kind of mm. falls on the on the wayside because you can't concentrate on everything, you know? Right. So I understand yes. that, but it's so nice to see that you are integrating yeah. Um, education about SDGs and people because yes. they are so connected and they yes. they do hinge on each other so much you really can't separate them right I mean you may, you mentioned the, the ocean and, and the climate youth ambassador program as well where with these youth and I think this is a is a very obvious example of how climate the environment and yeah social issues are closely connected you know so I think um, I don't think we can we can focus on social issues without actually taking environmental issues into the into account as well. Um, a lot of conflicts, a lot of wars are fought because of environmental issues or because of climate change. So it's it's all connected for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Why do we go and fight certain wars? Yes. Until now, it was because of oil right mm. and natural resources in the future i think it's going to be about water or about yes. being displaced because of yep. environmental change and yeah. i know a lot of environmentalists also feel that way so of course social mm. impact and environmental impact just cannot be separated so it's wonderful to see that you're incorporating both yeah i know i think i think it's really it's, hard uh, but <laughs> but i think it's, it's necessary yes I mean, climate refugees is sadly already an issue, um, and it will continue to be. Um, so we, we need to consider all of those aspects. Yeah. I'm showing uh, Against the Tide, which is the yes. Vimeo beautiful film that was yes. made about um, this project and the SDGs and the island nations youth. And uh, right. I would encourage everybody to go and watch that. It's freely available on the Peace Boat website. We'll link that yes. below. Um, another really interesting project was the Germans talking about taking responsibility for the past, German mm. students. Can That's you right. talk about that a little bit? I found that really sure. interesting. Yeah, we have a, we have a partnership with um, Tübingen, Tübingen University in, in, um, and, and Berghof Foundation in Germany. 
And as, uh, on different voyages, we've been able to bring university students from Sudanese University on the ship. And sort of their sort of main focus is the whole idea of how to deal with the past. This question, how do you deal with the past, especially when, you, as a, you know, as German students, they have had to deal with a, a, a pretty awful past from the Second World War and then, yeah, they discuss how, how, yeah, how they did it, but also how they are still learning to deal with the past in Germany. And bringing German students on the ship, um, and especially talking and discussing with with people in people from Japan, this is really interesting because you know Japan and Germany have had maybe different ways of dealing with the past, but there are also some similarities in the history and in the challenges that they have faced. For example, after the Second World War. So, um, yeah, these discussions are, of course, very, very complex and, and, and I'm sure challenging, but, but it's really, um, they're very important dialogues to have. Yeah. And just like with our other youth programs, whenever they sail with the ship for a period of time and in, in different ports of call, they go and on study tours or exposure programs where they, they learn more. Uh, they, investigate this this question more in these different ports of call so the yeah it's very exciting a very exciting program as well wow that's so interesting we had mm -hmm. a documentary filmmaker fritz mm -hmm. schumann in the series who was talking yep. about making a documentary in hiroshima about rabbit island okonoshima which is actually where poison gas was made during the war yes. And his documentary research took him to people in China because yeah. the poison gas made in Okunoshima was actually used during the war mm. in China. So he followed up as part of his film. Yeah. And he said, as a German, he felt mm. this is so natural. We have to accept what our country did in the past and we have to kind of own it and be honest about it. Mm. And then mm. we can move forward. And I, I agree. And I think that is often a conflict in Hiroshima. But Hiroshima yeah. Peace Park is doing it so well. They're yeah. kind of this happened. It was horrible. We don't want it to happen again. Let's mm. move forward. And I think that's kind of the, the peace boat mentality, right? Like, let's yeah. talk about it honestly. Let's yeah. be transparent. And mm -hmm. let's make a better future. Definitely. But I think Germany is really special in that sense, you know, um, they have really taken on that responsibility, you know, we, they, yeah, they own up, it's that they own up to what, what took place during the Second World War, and now they're really doing what they can for this not to happen again. Um, it is, I, I'm sure it's very, it's very difficult, and um, very much so still in, in Japan, um, discussing these topics, and especially reaching some sort of consensus is obviously even more difficult. Um, but it's nice to bring some, some people on board that, you know, that have been through or are going through that same process. And, and I think that's sometimes easier than someone from Denmark who is like, it's very easy to, to stand in front of everyone and say, you should, you should own up to your difficult path. But then you look at Danish history and yeah, we have some, some black chapters as well, but you know, nothing that, that, uh, that measures up to sort of the Holocaust or, <laughs> you know, something like that. So it's much better that it comes from, from German students than from young Danish students in a way. Yeah. 
And it's it's so connected to everything, right? It's it's all mm -hmm. about privilege. And yes. uh, if you are privileged, you don't see it, right? And right. it's only when you're not privileged that you, you're fighting against it. And people who mm -hmm. are privileged find it hard to empathize with that. So yes. in so many of your programs, that helps to bridge mm -hmm. that gap. Yes. So that's, that's and it's not I'm really thinking. about, you know, casting blame. You know, the whole idea here is that, you know, we don't want this history to repeat itself. So let's learn from it. Let's talk about it. But it's not really about, you know, pointing fingers and saying, you're the bad guy, you're the good guy. No, I mean, usually in war and in conflict, there are, there are not that many, you know, just good guys or bad guys. It's very, you know, um, murky and yeah, uh, gray rather than black and white. So it, it's never really about casting blame. It's more about, yeah, as you said, um, uh, avoiding that this would ever have, will ever happen. It must be really hard as a non-government organization to not be constantly political, right? Mm. Like to find yes. that middle ground yes. um, between politics and yes. to try to do good without being too political. It must yes. be so difficult. How yes. Could you give us an idea? How is that done? Um, yes, I mean, I think maybe this is an answer where I should say right now I'm, I'm completely answering as, as Louisa because I do, I do think this is something even within, within Peace Boat or within an NGO, this is, this is of course always challenging and people might not, um, agree. I personally think that any NGO is political. <laughs> you know, we are not parties political. We do not support a specific political party. But, you know, we have very clear opinions about uh, certain things like um, actually uh, March 11th is coming up very soon. The, the as we talked about the the 10 year uh, anniversary of of, um, of the Tohoku disaster, and in that regard, we are part of organizing a, a global conference um, against not only nuclear weapons but also against nuclear power. And obviously, this is a political, in my opinion. Again, I'm not speaking as peace, but but this is a political stance. So. We have clear opinions about certain issues. Um, but I think uh, in the way where we try to still, you know, move more towards sort of the neutral middle ground, this is by making sure we bring different voices on the ship as well. And we, when we discuss a topic, we try to discuss it in a nuanced manner, not in this black and white manner. Um, so... I think it's important to represent all parties of a conflict if you want to discuss a conflict. But in my, again, my personal opinion, I think it's unrealistic to think that we, we can ever be neutral in that sense because we do have clear opinions. I mean, even the SDGs are not neutral. You know, we have, the SDGs are very much political and, you know, um, it's, it's a, yeah, but it's a, it's not party political. It's more about how we believe that humans should live with one another and how we believe that we should, uh, how we believe in treating the planet and so on. But in my personal opinion, that is still politics. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, mm. There's a huge debate going on in America right now to raise the minimum wage, for example. Yes. And yeah. a lot of people who are against it seem to be arguing that for some people to get more, that means I have to get less. And, mm -hmm. and worried about an injustice happening to them uh, yeah. coming from a position of privilege. 
Um, but it's, it's complicated, you know, and it's connected Mm -hmm. to taxes and it's connected to, you know, social services, which are paid by taxes. And it's just, it's a very confusing situation. And then Mm -hmm. in this whole age of fake news, and the the lie becoming like as much news attention as the truth it's yes. a very difficult world for people to kind and of we work don't out, know right? what the truth is and we don't know what the lie is right it's, it's so yeah yeah wow yeah very very difficult but i'm i'm happy to see that you're you're challenging mm-hmm. it and uh making yes. adjustments <laughs> along the way yes. and collaborating yes. with lots of good organizations who also Mm. have a lot of research, have a lot of research development with scientists and different people around the world, like United Nations. Um, I'm sure that helps a lot. You're not alone. You're collaborating and networking with others. And I think that, you know, understanding that, that, you know, as an, as an NGO, as an organization, you don't, you don't need to have all the answers, you know, you don't, you don't need to be the one that, that knows everything before you even study it. I think you're, acknowledging that that we can always learn and acknowledging that we can always change i think this is yeah this is what will bring us forward um and that's as you said we, we collaborate with people all over the world even within peace boat um it's not just about nationality but it's personality it's age it's uh, interests it's so diverse and this is also a way that we, we continue to grow as an organization is actually to learn from this diversity within the organization as well. And if we were all the same and all agreed, I, I, I actually don't think we would we would evolve very much. So I, I, I think it, it's great to acknowledge that we can always learn more and we can always we can always change. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like sustainability, seeking yes. sustainability, we're always mm. looking for the next better option. Um, yep. We don't have all the answers. We're still looking, yeah. right? Yes, yep. <laughs> definitely. Um, so if people do want to take part or volunteer or work for um, Peace Boat, can you lay that out a little bit? How would people, when's your next voyage or what opportunities are available? So in, in terms of volunteering, um, as I mentioned, I was a, a, a volunteer teacher. And we typically have English and Spanish teachers on board. So this is this is one way. And you can be from, from any country. Um, so, yeah, um, that's a possibility. We also have volunteer interpreters that, that join the ship. Um, and those vol- the volunteer options that we have, people can check our website. There is one point called uh, Get Involved, and people can see. Um, when it comes, if, if people are interested in becoming, you know, a, a staff member, that's maybe a, a slightly more complicated uh, process. But of course, I would say contact Peaceboat and uh, let us know. Send us your resume, and then we'll see. Um, and sadly, I, I probably did not be the one making that decision. But <laughs> yeah, of course, we're always uh, interested. And and again, if, if anyone has some cool projects they would like to introduce, um, they would like us um, yeah, to know more about. They would like to collaborate. Again. Send us an email, and uh, we would like to, yeah, we would love to look into possible collaboration as well. That's wonderful. So, uh, we just yeah. have five more minutes. Can you talk a little bit about the beyond the voyage kind mm. of um, uh, events or activities that Peaceboat does? Right. 
So, um, as I, I, I already mentioned here on, on March 11th, we have a, a huge uh, global conference um, to commemorate the, the, the 10 year of, of Fukushima, the Fukushima nuclear power plant disaster. So we, we often um, organize or take part in, in conferences, uh, symposiums and so on, focusing on, on, for example, climate change or oceans, or in this case, uh, nuclear issues. So this is something we are, we are very busy with. Um, then, uh, yeah, I mentioned our online Hibakusha testimonies. Um, we have set a very amb ambitious goal that we would like to conduct uh, online atomic uh, bomb survivor testimonies in 190 countries. And uh, 100 of those we hope to do within this year. So uh, it'll, it'll be a busy year ahead. So again, if anyone um, has ideas for maybe places that would be interested in, in hosting sort of an online um, Hibakusha testimony, please contact us because we, yeah, we're, we're looking for partners and not just in Japan, all over the world. Um, and uh, yes, so conferences, symposiums, and as I said, also uh, whenever we have the, the global um, action campaign for the SDGs, uh, run by SDGs action campaign, we we often participate with, with sort of workshops or, or presentations and, or just as participants because again we are there to learn as well so. yeah that's yeah. great and i think i read that um the next voyage is scheduled for the end of this year is that look like it's going ahead or are things being pushed a bit further back actually i mean for now we are the we are still planning towards uh, summer, actually, August and, and so on. Um, but, um, yep, we'll, of course, it depends on how the situation develops. But with the vaccines rolling out now and so on, it's, uh, whew, yeah, it's, it's quite a relief, you know. <laughs> We've been waiting for that, yeah. Can, we, can you, we have just a few more minutes. I'd love to yep. hear any stories that you had as a teacher or as a participant mm. that really stayed with you and really really made you feel like peace boat is doing something really good for the world mm. oh wow um like in a way so many stories to choose from how do i choose one but uh, no i think one thing that I that I'd like to emphasize because it's a, it's a question that often comes up, you know, like what are the the type of participants you have on the ship, and you look at the pictures and you see that a lot of them are are seniors or maybe sixty plus, and it's not really your your typical activist uh, organization, you know, with a lot of young people. We have a lot of young people on board as well, um, but we also have a large group of. Uh, of, of older participants. And um, I think what I've experienced is that there are some of these participants that, that or even, you know, all of the participants, there are some participants that join at first just because they, they want to see the world, they want to travel, and maybe they want to take it easy. Um, and every voyage, I talk to so many people that tell me, hey, I was planning on reading a ton of books. I was planning on getting a tan by the pool and... I haven't read a single book. I've been busy running to lectures. I've been busy uh, helping out with this one project. And these stories for me, this is what it's all about because 
you know, yeah, we can, it's easy to preach to the choir, but when you talk to people that actually joined for a different reason and they got so excited about all these projects and events that they didn't get to read a single book, then I think we're doing something right. And so those stories every year or every voyage I'm on, I, yeah, they make me so happy and it just really, it's very, very motivating. So. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) And I've seen it myself. And anybody who follows this series would have seen it. That Peace Boat comes up again and again as something that was a foundation of Mm. someone developing their idea or innovation. And the Peace Boat experience, either as a volunteer or Mm. working, sparked something. Not yes. only not only in their in their mind, but emotionally, yes. and made them yes. very passionate about yes. helping others and helping the environment. So, you're obviously doing something right. Keep yes. it up. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. Yeah, and as you said, I think sometimes it, it can be it can be the new idea that's generated on the ship, but it all it can also just be building that confidence necessary to take an idea that has been there all along, but to to you know, to realize that idea. Because I think a lot of people have dreams and they have things they want to do. They just don't feel confident enough. And then, yeah, go on the ship, uh, try to, you know, plan an event and be in charge of different projects and realize you you have the potential to, to do so much. So, yeah, you know, build confidence that way. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Louise. That was wonderful. Thank you, Joy. Thank you for having me. That was great. <laughs> And you are our last talk before the 200th. Thank you so much. Wow. Congratulations to you as well. What an accomplishment. So tomorrow (laughs) um, from 12 o'clock until 3.33, I am doing a 200-minute marathon session trying to talk about the series, tell lots of stories, and uh, wish me luck. Three hours, 33 minutes. Make sure to have a big glass of water. I will will have to have lots of coffee on hand, I think. (laughs) But it's been been such a wonderful year and a wonderful 200 guests. And thank you so much for being a part of it, Louise. Thank you for for letting us be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Keep up the good work and best of luck uh, getting back to voyages and different kinds of events even while we're in coronavirus. Please take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining and for your comments. Uh, Maki has some applause at the end. Thank you, Maki. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, have a good day. And please join me tomorrow as I recap the year's 200 episodes from 12 o'clock noon Japan time. Take care, everyone. See you. Thanks for joining us today, and a big thank you to Hiko Simon via SoundCloud for the royalty-free background music that I use in all of my Seeking Sustainability Live talk shows for the background music. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Have a great day. Take care.